Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. When I think of the subject I want to talk about today, unconditional love, I I think of my mother. I know a couple weeks ago Josh talked about his mother being selfless, but unconditional love is really a characteristic that a lot of mothers have. You know, they say the expression, that's a face only a mother could love because the mother tends to continue loving when others don't. And I know for my mom, it wasn't easy growing up in this my household. When I was born, my twin brother and I were both When we were born, suddenly in our household, there were four baby boys, three years of age and younger. And in addition to my dad, which makes five guys in the house, there are also two male dogs, just a lot of testosterone in our household. And my mom put up with a lot. I've told you some of the stories, like when we had the uh, aquarium in the garage with 19 snakes in it. My brothers and I would go to the fields near our house and lift up the boards and we would collect the snakes we found curled underneath. I know that grosses some of you out. Or the time we bought some mice thinking that we could mate them and sell them and make all kinds of money. Boy, they got out of control. There were so many of them. Our mom allowed us to keep them in the tub. Just unbelievable. That was until they started escaping. When she started seeing them running around, that was it. But she sure put up with a lot. My mom served in the church in various ways. She was the pianist for our church. And um, Sunday evening, she'd be getting ready to play a hymn. And I knew that there was a particular face that I could make, that if I made this face, she'd laugh. And I would do that. I'd put this exact face. I'm not going to show it to you. But, but she would laugh every time, and she just never had trouble with that. You know, she kind of put up with me. She was the one who st- you know, stayed up with us when we were sick and seemed to work t- tirelessly and thanklessly, which really is a big part of this whole idea of unconditional love. Do you continue to love when you don't get, you know, a return for it, when people don't acknowledge your love, and you just continue to love in this way? But that's the way my mom was. And I admit that in my own life, as I think about just this subject of unconditional love, that I realize that many times I am conditional in my love. It's just easy for me, or more easy for me, to treat someone the way they treat me than to treat them with love when they don't deserve it from my perspective. It's easier for me to love those that are like I am. It's easier for me to love people that believe the same way I do, to kind of have more love for that person than somebody that believes differently. A lot of this was tested during the last election. And sometimes it's just hard to love other people. Now today I want to talk about love, but not just love in general. I want to talk specifically about unconditional love, but it's such an important subject. As we wrap up this series, we've been doing this series called Relationship Goals, and we've been talking about the fact that relationships, uh, for them to thrive, need to be selfless. They need to demonstrate forgiveness. You know, if we don't learn how to forgive one another, our relationships will not grow. Last week, I talked about just being kind, but today I want to wrap this up with this unconditional love. And of the three qualities, faith, hope, and love, Paul said this was the greatest. 
1 Corinthians 13, it's called the love chapter. He says, you know, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the one that's most important is love because love is the one that's going to continue with us for all eternity. You know, when we get to heaven, we won't need faith anymore. Your faith will be sight. When you get to heaven, you won't need love or hope anymore, but you will need love. And Paul talks about such a, the big deal that love is. That without love, we're really nothing at all. You remember 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, but let me read it again. If I speak human or angelic languages but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Even if we could speak languages that we've never learned before, if we did not have love, we'd just be making noise, he said. Be better just to keep quiet. We could be amazingly gifted and, and have the gift of prophecy, for example, have all knowledge, know all mysteries, have the kind of faith that can move mountains and people would look at us and be so impressed with us. But Paul says, if you don't have love, you are not a somebody. He says, you are nothing. It's really pretty strong language he uses. And even if we give all that we have to feed the poor and we deliver up our body, sacrificing ourselves for someone else or some cause, if it's not motivated by love, it profits us nothing. Love is that important, but it's not easy to do. How do we love people that have hurt us? How do we love a spouse that betrayed us? How do we love people that maybe hate us, mistreat us, who are different than we are? How do we love people when the cost is real high and our love wants to pewter out? How do we love in those situations? There are challenges in loving unconditionally. There's no doubt about it. But I stand by my takeaway here today, and that is that like Christ, we should be conduits of unconditional love. Like Christ, we should be conduits of unconditional love. Today, I want to spend some time just looking at the example of Jesus, because Jesus modeled this really well. He was in situations where he demonstrated unconditional love, and I love the fact he modeled it because it gives us a picture of, of how we could do it as well. And of course, we remember that Jesus was God in the flesh, and so he was fleshing out the way our God is, God the Father is, and how he loved. And this is something, by the way, that we can do, because if we know Jesus Christ, if the Spirit of Christ lives inside of us, we have the ability to love through the power that's made possible through Christ living through us. But Jesus demonstrated this. He loved people regardless of whatever. And I want to give you three situations where he demonstrated this, where we can follow his example to be conduits of unconditional love. First of all, I'd like to note that he loved people regardless of who they were. Jesus loved people regardless of who they were. In other words, another way to put this, he didn't show partiality to anyone, not based on their appearance, not based on their race, not based on their wealth, not based on their social status, not based even on their spiritual condition. Jesus didn't love people based on any label that we could assign to someone he just loved. Even Jesus' critics acknowledged this. On one occasion, the religious leaders came to Jesus with a question, but before they asked the question, they made an observation about how Jesus dealt with people. It's found in Mark chapter 12 and verse 14. 
We read, when they came, they said to him, teacher, we know you are truthful and defer to no one, for you don't show partiality, but teach truthfully the way of God. You're not someone who shows partiality. You're not someone who defers to anyone just because it's an important person. You, you kind of peddle back what you were going to say. He treated people the same regardless of, of who they were. My Bible has a little footnote by this expression, you don't show partiality. It indicates it literally should be translated, you don't look on the face of men. That is on the outward appearance. You're not swayed by what you see. That's not the way Christ was. Jesus was someone who wasn't afraid to be seen by people in society that most looked down upon. Or the social norms in the society he treated people with love regardless of who they are. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman in Jesus' day. A, a devout Jewish man would not talk with a woman in a, in, outside at all in any kind of a public place, and certainly not if, if it was a Samaritan. And many of you remember the story. Jesus and his disciples were on their way through this area called Samaria. It's an area that most devout Jews would avoid completely because they hated the Samaritans. Samaritans were a, a group of Je Jewish people who had married Gentiles, and so they had, in, in the perspective of these religious people, they had polluted their bloodline, and so they were despised. This was really a, a racial issue here. But Jesus deliberately went through this area. And you remember he sent his disciples into one of the towns to get some food, and he was sitting there by a well when this, this woman came up to draw water. And she was asked by him for a drink. Would you give me something to drink? Because he had nothing to get the water with. And, and she was shocked by the question. In John 4, verses 9 and 10, she said, how is it you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Both of those words matter in this topic. She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. He, he loved her right where she was. And of course, as the story unfolds, we learn even more about her, that she had a very questionable lifestyle. She had five husbands. We don't know the story behind it. And then the guy she was living with was not her husband. And one of my sources indicates that the way the story is written, it implies it was someone else's husband. Jesus said to this woman, you know, I, yeah, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've had five and the one you're with is not yours. It's kind of how that should be translated. It's not yours. But he loved her and reached out to her. And that's what Jesus would do. Jesus would hang around people that would get heartburn to the religious leaders that he would hang around these so-called sinners and, and these tax collectors and, and people in society that others look down upon. Matthew 9, 10, 11 we read, while he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came as guests to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I could just hear just the disdain in their question. Why on earth does he eat with people like that? It's because he loved people unconditionally. And he loved religious people too, like Nicodemus. He's willing to talk to this teacher of the law that was well known in Israel. 
spend time with him. Nicodemus, according to the gospel, seems to have become a follower of Jesus eventually because Jesus cared for him as well. And I love the fact that the story of Jesus talking to this Nicodemus guy is right before the story of Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman. They're right next to each other and it just illustrates the point. And Jesus loved people regardless of whether they were rich or poor. I think sometimes we understand why Jesus would love those who are poor, but Jesus also loved those who are rich. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 21, a wealthy young man came with a question to Jesus and Jesus looked at the guy and it says, then looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. I think we live in a culture today that kind of looks down on people that are wealthy, but Jesus didn't, none of those criteria mattered. The religious or the irreligious, the important or the common, the wealthy, those who were poor, Jew, Gentile, all of them, female, male, all of them, he just... He just loved people unconditionally regardless of any of those things. He loved people because they were created in the very image of God. So he didn't love people based on who they were. Second though, second way in which he demonstrated this unconditional love is he loved people regardless of how they treated him. And again, I think we tend to treat people the way they treat us. If someone mistreats us, you know, well, I'm not gonna talk to you anymore. I'm not gonna treat you well anymore. Jesus didn't view it that way. But it's human nature to do this. I was reminded as I was preparing this of uh, one boss I had over the years that was um, hated. I worked during the summers for this manufacturing company when I was uh, still in high school. And um, I had a boss that was really an angry, he was just not a very kind man. And I was in the maintenance department, which was a mistake in the first place. I can't fix anything. So why on earth have they hired me for that? But we were working on some electrical, uh, something in the ceiling. I don't know if it was a light we were replacing, what it was, but it required some electrical work. And so I was at the breakers turning them on and off. And my boss was on this aluminum chair and he was working with the wires and he kept telling me which breakers to turn on and off. Turn on one. Turn on two, turn off one, turn on three. We were dealing with a lot of wires for some reason. I don't again remember what it was. Might have been an air conditioner even that we were hooking up. I don't remember, but in either case, he lost track of which breakers were on and off. He touched the live wire. He screamed as he flew off the ladder. My twin brother was standing there at the time. This guy was not my twin's boss. It's the only time I heard my twin brother, I think, yell. He yelled at my boss because my boss yelled at me. He screamed at me because of the breaker situation. And my twin brother yelled at him and said, you're the one that forgot which breakers were on and off. But I tell the story because when this happened, everybody in the area applauded when the guy flew off the ladder. They celebrated it. I kid you not, it's like everybody was clapping like this is the greatest show on earth. The guy almost got killed. That's human nature to to treat people that way. Jesus, of course, told us to love our enemies, didn't he? Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48, I kind of touched on this a couple weeks ago, but he said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That would be um, 
conditional love. Love your enemy or love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. That's unconditional love. Regardless of how people treat you, see? And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect here, by the way, doesn't mean sinless. It means be complete or mature. Don't fail to follow this completely. The Jewish leaders at the time of Christ had the perspective of Leviticus 19.18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. They had the interpretation or the perspective that love your neighbor as yourself meant you don't have to love anyone that's not your neighbor. They completely twisted around what God said about loving people. And so they didn't love well. Dr. Jameson writes about this. At the time of Christ, the Romans accused the Jews of hating the entire human race. So Jesus made the point in these verses to say there's nothing special about loving people that love you back. Anyone will greet someone that greets them. Anyone will be kind to someone that's kind to them. But when you love people that don't love you back, that's different. El Morris says there's no reward for doing what is commonplace, but it's godlike. It's godlike to send rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous or cause his sun to shine upon both of them. And let me ask you this question. Aren't you glad that God loves his enemies? I mean, you think about this just for a moment. Aren't you glad God loves his enemies because that's what we were before Christ? That's what the New Testament indicates. That before a person puts his or her faith in Christ, we're considered enemies of God. We are walking in rebellion of the creator of the universe. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 5. I love verse 8. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were good people. It's when we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, skipping ahead, it says, for if we, while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Reconciled means the animosity between two enemies is removed. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more now that we've been reconciled will we be saved by his life? It wasn't while we were good people. It wasn't while we were friends of God. We were hopeless sinners going our own way like sheep who had wandered astray. God sent his son for us and restored us to himself. And, and by the way, some of you maybe don't know where you stand with God and it's found in Christ. That's how we become friends of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus because he died in our place for our sin. He paid the cost of everything you did wrong. Talk about unconditional love. And God executed his son so the justice could be served against the sin of the world, but he rose again from the dead, proving that the payment he made on our behalf was accepted by God. And we become children of God when we make Jesus Christ the object of our trust. We reach out to him, I need a savior, and we say yes to Jesus. I want us to understand, though, that God doesn't love us because we're lovable. He loves us because he is love. See, that's the difference. He is love. And Jesus, again, modeled this. Let me give you two examples. One is 
the night that he was betrayed. You remember Judas was there? Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. But Judas was sitting that night in the seat of honor next to Jesus. Or one of the two seats of honor. Jesus bent down and washed Judas's feet. Again, he knew what Judas was going to do. You know, I would want to, to say, Judas, this time you wash your own feet because I know what you're about to do. And, and Jesus gave him the bread of communion. And when Judas left, he didn't, he didn't even expose him. I mean, he did give some clues what Judas was going to do, but the disciples didn't understand at all. He let Judas just walk away, didn't humiliate him in the process. Understand that, that Jesus never gave up on Judas. Jesus' love never ended with Judas. Judas' love for Jesus, though, did give up. That's the difference between the two. And if we want a further example of unconditional love, consider again what Jesus said from the cross. As he looked down upon those who had put him up there, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's amazing. It's not a love that was conditioned upon how others treated him. And so Jesus loved people regardless of who they were, regardless of how they treated him. And then the last point is he loved people regardless of the cost. And sometimes we love people until the cost is a little bit too great. Jesus went the distance for us. Of course, Jesus said in John 15, 13, no one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. That's the greatest price anyone could pay, motivated out of love, which is why we remember Memorial Day this day. But there were no limits to what Jesus' love was about. He went the distance. I like the way John put it, one of his closest friends in John 13, 1. We read, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's the statement. He, he went the distance. He was going to love them all the way to the end. Every once in a while, we have opportunities to see this kind of unconditional love played out. Oftentimes we can't, but sometimes we see it played out. So I was reflecting on this. I was thinking of the love my wife had for me when my appendix turned gangrene a year and a half ago. She sat with me in that hospital room for nine days, day and night, sleeping in that chair, always there for anything I might need. That's unconditional love. That's not, well, this is getting too costly. And Jesus' love for us, it, it, it went the distance. It doesn't give up. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, Paul talked about it in these terms. This kind of love, agape love, he said, it bears all things. It just puts up with all things. It believes all things. as the idea of just always believing the best, like maybe there's still hope for this person. It hopes all things. It continues to hope. And it endures all things. I read that, I think there are no limits to this love. So how do we apply this today? Well, I just want to ask some questions. I just want to ask how your love life is. How do you love? And I want to ask you to consider areas in your life where maybe you're conditional in your love. You know, do you treat people based on their appearance or their race or their wealth? Maybe you treat people differently because they seem to be important people, but this person over here is not important, so you ignore them. How, how well do you love do you treat people differently based on outward qualities? Do you love people because of what they'll do for you? 
Are there some people you struggle to love, people you view as your enemies that maybe you need to love? I know this is a hard one. But if we could begin to think of doing good, I read this past week about a woman that arrived at church and this woman with whom she didn't get along came up and gave her a big hug. That had never happened before and the two had had an argument the last time they saw each other so she just was fascinated by it. And then she found out that the previous week that she had missed in church, the minister had talked about loving and he gave the assignment that, that I want you to go do something nice for someone you can't stand. Whether she got the implications of this or not, it's a biblical idea to love your enemies, do good to those who mistreat you. I encourage you to do that, to pray for those. Because like Christ, we want to be conduits of unconditional love. We don't love because of, we shouldn't. We shouldn't love if, just based on if. If you do this, I'll love you. It's not based on that. We shouldn't love until, you know, until the cost gets too great. Jesus was willing to love us in these ways. And why does it matter? Well, Jesus put it this way in John 13, 34 and 35. He said, I give a new command. Love one another. That, by the way, wasn't the new part of it. That's in the Old Testament. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And by the way, if you wonder how to possibly do it, I think the best solution is to stay close to Jesus because God is love. And as you stay close to Christ and as you experience his love for you, it's gonna give you the ability, I think, to love others well. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we don't deserve your love for us, that we were sinners going astray, rebellious against you, and yet you loved us. You've poured out your love toward us especially demonstrating that love in sending your son. You so loved the world you gave your one and only son. And you love to the end, O oh Lord. And we're grateful for that. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love, as Paul wrote in Romans 8. I ask you, though, to give us the grace to be conduits of your love to other people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.